Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good afternoon to everybody in the United States. Good evening to those in Europe, um, and more specifically in the United Kingdom, where my guest happens to come from today. Um, you're listening to V Radio. Uh, if this is your first time listening to V Radio, please do me a favor. Go to v-radio.org or v-v-radio. Um, and there you will find archives of more shows like this one. Lots of great guests, filmmakers, scientists, activists have all been interviewed on this show. Um, great conversations with like uh, roundtable panel discussions. Um, <clears throat> in addition, you can find my must-see TV list, a list of free documentaries, which I have recently added more stuff to that you can watch on the Internet that I think are kind of critical to <clears throat> really understanding the direction that we are pushing for, at least uh, my, when I say we, I mean my listeners, since I know that I have listeners who are on both sides of the recent issues between the Zeitgeist Movement and the Venus Project. Um, but today we're going to talk about something productive, uh, which I, I wish more people would do. <laughs> um, today we're going to discuss a project put together uh, by the fellow here on the phone with me now. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself, James. Uh, yeah, hi Neil, and hi everyone out there. My name's James Phillips. I'm a father and music teacher from London, here in the UK, and um, I've been with the movement since about 2008. And I'm setting up a website for uh, to <coughs> to uh, to deal with education and the school system um, from a movement perspective. Um, it's called tzmeducation.org. So uh, if you can go there and check it out, that'd be great. And I'm trying to trying to get this message into schools and also collaborate uh, or sorry correlate, I should say, uh, different case studies that validate the positions of um, the, the Venus Project and uh, the resource-based economy uh, economic model. So uh, that's the kind of idea behind the website: get this message into schools and get kids um, aware of uh, the nature of what unfortunately they are going to need to change due to uh due to the the grown-ups inability to actually behave themselves. No, I understand. Can you give me that URL one more time? Yeah, it's www.tzmeducation.org. It's a good thing I worked at the Renaissance Festival because that's why I know what Z means. <laughs> Cuz we we have, we have to talk in in uh, you know, British cognizisms. And you say Zed to an American, and they're like, Zed? Is that like a person? You know? It's interesting, the little differences in English versus English. <laughs> yeah, you say tomato, I say tomato. Or Zed would actually be the, that, that character from the Police Academy movies, wouldn't it? Yeah, you got quiet all of a sudden, by the way. I don't know if you're too far from your mic or whatever, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I remember one of my favorite little nuances was... Uh, this girl I talked to was from England. You know, she asked for a picture of me, and, and she looked at it, and she said, you're fit. And I looked down at myself, and I went, no, I'm definitely not fit, you know. <laughs> and then and then somebody explained to me, oh, she, that means you're hot. I was like, oh, okay. That makes a little more sense, you know. Um, and, you know, when you put cars in the trunk, you mean the boot. You know, there's all these little nuances between the two. Um Bugger off, bollocks, you know, words like that that are a little bit more negative. But yeah, um, okay, so let's get into this. Um, TZM Education, you got a little video here, I guess, put up on Vimeo, uh, 19 minutes long to talk about 
uh, what you're doing here. I guess, is this what you put up at the London Z Day then? Yeah, um, the the uh, World Z, Z Day event or, um, in London, just this year gone, I was one of the speakers at that. And um, yeah, I'm t- I was, oh, that was the, obviously the launch of um, the website and the project, basically uh, trying to do a centralized uh, correlation thing for the education side of the movement. Um, I talk about several different things in there, but um, but sort of of, of uh, free education ideals um, in terms of free to learn what you want and a little bit more liberating approach to education, and um, also talk about some of my uh, my dealings with the school system. I've been into schools in the UK. Um, on several occasions now to talk about uh, the Venus Project, the Zeitgeist Movement, the resource-based economy. Um, so, so yeah, uh, just just a general sort of oversight of those things and trying to call people uh, to come to the site and um, and contribute in any way they sort of uh, they sort of can, and, and also recipro- reciprocally use the information on the site to go into their local schools and take this message to kids and communicate it with teachers and because ultimately i think if we can educate if we can sort of do it as a grassroots thing and come up through the uh the education system uh then the people going into the world are going to have a vastly different outlook on the society they're just about to join than the one they currently have Right, you know, and it's interesting. You know, you, you've got a lot of interesting stuff on here. You know, you got like, a whole section on activism in schools. Um, you got one of the, a couple of like a TED talk, and then a, a link to probably one of my favorite uh, speeches ever done by a girl <laughs> in the UN. You know, like a you know the little teenager who was addressing the UN with like so much truth that you know they they just kind of a- applauded and then went back to their BS. <laughs> you know, they didn't listen to anything she said, which is really too bad, but. Um, you know, and, uh, I remember looking on here, there was something about, uh, games. I'm trying to figure out, oh, you know, wait, no, you got, so actually before I get into that, you, you have this like listed on different age groups, for example, uh, you know, one through five, five through 10, 10 through 15, 15 through 20 and school contact templates. Um, so yeah, you basically just, you're kind of trying to give people, uh, some guidelines on how best to get this situation, you know, get this stuff into schools. Yeah, it's it's a toolkit, if you will, but it's a toolkit that very much needs um, that very much needs people's input. What what I often get uh, is people coming through saying, "Oh, well, that's really good. We'd love to help and everything." And I'm kind of like, "That's great. Uh, what can you do?" <laughs> and um, because people come through and they say that, but I really, if you look at those pages, like one naught to five, um, isn't particularly my speciality sort of area. Um, and so in there, it's like, you know, this is to be updated because really, actually, I need input from from other people um, and I need people to come forward and say, I found this game that will work there and that game that will work here and, and actually fill up the page, uh, so to speak, so that people can come there and, and pick those out and maybe take them. You know, if they're a parent, they can ask to go into their local school as I did. And if they, they, if they obviously we all used to have schools, so phone up your old school and ask to go and do a presentation there for the older ones. Maybe uh, it, I'm just trying to bulk out that section really, and the, yeah, like you say, the contact letter templates is so that people just to make it as easy as possible. So literally, all you've got to do is go there, copy and paste a letter into an email, send it, rip off the presentations off the website, go in there, talk and leave, 
And if every member of this movement, I mean, there's a bit in that presentation that I think is well worth pointing out, that if even 200,000 members of the Zeitgeist movement just went into one school and talked to 180 uh, pupils and teachers as I did, then we'd reach 36 million young adults about to enter this system. And I think that that's a profound implication on, on what members should be, should be uh, trying to do to forward this message. In, in, well, it's important also that you know it kind of lays the foundations, and it's interesting actually that the the schools became a uh, element of um, uh, political debate. Like I remember this guy who pitched this huge fuss over the fact that uh, the story of stuff by Annie Leonard was being played in uh, schools, and he made this scathing, nasty reply to it on YouTube that was just full of so many straw men and ad homonyms and appeal to mockeries. I was just like, geez, you know, and, he, and they brought him on, you know, Fox, as you could probably imagine, you know, to help him complain about, you know, the story of stuff being in schools. And I talked to, uh, there's a, we have a lot of members of the Green Party in uh, our local chapter here in Michigan. And, and he discussed that, you know, the Republicans realized they were falling behind. So a lot of Republicans were getting into education so that they could start you know, incorporating conservative ideas in children. And it's the thing that's different about this, though, that I, I often have to point out to people is that Jock's ideas about education have to do with, you know, giving children critical and analytical thinking skills immediately um, so that they can't be indoctrinated by anyone, um, essentially. They, they learn through the scientific method what is real and what is not, and then they discard the rest. Um, and and that's uh, that's basically an approach that I think would be critical to you know to teaching these methods. Basically, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want anybody to think that we'd be interested in indoctrinating anybody. That this is actually more about teaching children to think and then to come to their own conclusions. And when you do that with science, you tend to, at least in my experience, come towards the resource-based economy method. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. What I often say is, yep, I'm attempting to indoctrinate people into reason, logic. And the idea that they might be wrong about things from time to time, <laughs> which um, isn't 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 particularly uh, isn't particularly very uh, dogmatic point of view to to take to them. The point is is that most political models don't want you to be a critical thinker because if you actually started to critically analyze their bullshit, then you'd sniff it out in a second. And so naturally, that I mean, you just have to look at the school model and just go right. We People are probably better to be able to know their own thoughts, know when someone's talking out of their, their backside. And um, and you go, yep, that's a good thing. So where is the critical thinking class in school? It's not there <laughs> because they obviously don't have an interest in it because ultimately culture reflects education and education reflects culture. This culture needs a bunch of work slaves, basically. So really, the classroom model is designed on exactly that sort of predication, you know, um, of sort of rote learning and, and, uh, and yeah, not, and not the ability to critically, um, analytically think as, as you just well pointed out, Neil. Right. Yeah. And that's, it, it's unfortunate that that happens. I mean, there are other things that people can do as well. Like I, I've already talked about, you know, watching the film consuming kids, um, because of, it really, really, really exposes to you just how much, the corporations put into uh, brainwashing children to be consumers. Um, but 
now let's go to you know you got you have example let me go back to your website here um education and culture let me see police direct from the right collaboration and altruism versus competition and apathy liberation from forced education punishment and rewards the current educational paradigm are these, are these like articles or yeah it looks like it yeah they they are they're, they're articles um i've written for the site from the various um, educational uh, resources that I've looked up, and throughout those articles, I sort of um, I pin in there the references of where I've got them from, and different TED talks and uh, wikis and, and other sorts of things that people could go and can go and check out with regards to those those articles. But yeah, pretty much, I've written a, I, I, I've written the equivalent of a book to get this uh, to get this website up and running personally. Uh, and then obviously the presentation on on Z Day and the other presentations that are up there to take into schools. And um, I'm trying to piece together a science exhibition and um, and all sorts of other things to take in there. And uh, and I've got loads of other programs kicking off as well. It would it, you know we'd need a five, four hour show to tell you all the things I'm doing. But yeah, it keeps me busy, keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, that's you know it's it doesn't take long to get a huge workload when you're involved with the Zeitgeist movement and the Venus Project. That's for sure, because um, <laughs> you just you, you see all these different ways you can help, and then and then you end up doing it. Um, now let me see. So we had these different articles. I like the way you, you use the TED Talks because they certainly can't argue with that. And then you got James Gilligan on here, really great one. Um, and uh, in addition to that, here we have um, okay, how do we learn? So in this section, basically, uh, you're kind of laying out the the different strategies for how to get people to to learn. I mean, is that is that correct? Do you want to comment on that section? Yeah. Well, when you're talking about learning, you're talking about the different ways in pe in, in which people learn. So you've got seeing learners, hearing learners, and touching slash feeling learners. So some people, like my stepdaughter, only learn that the stove is hot when she touches the damn thing, <laughs> which um, which is, is is fine in one aspect, I suppose. But yeah, and then there's other ones. You know, some people are, are visual um, and some people can read and take it in and some people are combinations of them. So you have to sort of um, have an educational system that's flexible to suit people's needs, which this one can't really be because, because again, it's based on the idea that you have to submit to a coercive system. So the educational system has to reflect that. Why would it do anything other than reflect the the system you're about to go into? You know, um, I always say to my students, because uh, as I said, I teach the drums. I I always say to them, the, the world in which you operate, you need money and to operate in that, right? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you need money to operate. And I'm like, okay, so how is the value of money attributed in society? I mean, how does it get created? I mean, don't say think smart things like it's printed. How? I mean, you know, how does it come into effect? And they go, well, I don't know. Well, and I say to them, <laughs> pardon me, how long have you been at school? Oh, about 10 years. It's like, well, mm -hmm. why do they not tell you? It should be perfectly simple. Why wouldn't they tell you how how money's created. It must be a perfectly simple system. And they're like, oh, I don't really know why they haven't told me. What, well, how is it created? And then you can go into you know, debt and just go, well, it's created out of debt. And those sorts of things. But it's just interesting to get kids thinking like, yeah, why the hell don't they tell me any of this stuff at school? I came out of school still thinking we were on the gold standard. <laughs> wow. I, you know what? I came out of school not even thinking. I just thought, right, money, that's a mode of exchange. And 
And, you know, I thought, yeah, yeah, root of all evil, but we need it. <laughs> right. Know? And, uh, and uh, yeah, no, obviously recent events in recent years has made me wake up to that and uh, wake up to the gross inefficiency of society. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I'm getting through, I think I'm reaching quite, uh, young people tend to get this idea, as Jacques has mentioned on more occasions, much, much better than, than the older generations do. I mean, they, they've they've had far more cultural indoctrination, and of course, they have to bullshit themselves to think that their that their worldview is relevant, that their job is relevant. You know, that it's it that it's not a fruitless endeavor because you know how the hell would you get out of bed every morning um, if it if it was? So they've they've had many more years of indoctrination. I find sometimes that they're difficult to get get through to even when when what you're saying may as well be the grass is is green and they're still trying to claim it's blue it's it's you know it's like talking to a brick wall but with kids they just like get it um i don't know if you ever saw doug millette's um uh, lecture to the texas texan yeah i humanists. did i did that was great there's, there's a wonderful example in that where he's talking about him and his um daughter watching tv which really stuck with me um where he basically said they were sitting there watching TV and he went out and the adverts must have come on and he comes back in the room and his daughter says, Daddy, why are there starving people in the world? And he clocks that she must have seen uh, an Oxfam advert or or what have you. And he's gone, oh, well, um, well, they just don't have, uh, they don't have the money to hurt, you know, buy the food. And she says, but Daddy, there's loads of food in the store down the road. We could just give them that. And he's like, yeah, they, uh, they don't have the money. And she just gets up and goes, Money's dumb. Walks out. <laughs> <laughs> Six years old and she gets it. <laughs> that's yeah, that's an interesting. I had forgotten about that story, but I've I've talked to Doug so many times. Um, it's interesting actually that you know my daughter. I mean, I, I've told this story a bunch of times, so I'll repeat it completely in this thing. But my daughter watches Future by Design, and. One of the cutest things she ever said was, you know, I like Jacques Fresco because he's designing houses for all people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she actually, you know, they both the kids recognize him and they point at the screen and go, Jacques Fresco, you know, and um, she doesn't ask to watch Future by Design over and over again like she used to, but every now and then she'll ask to watch it, you know, and um, it almost makes you wish that there was more uh, children um focused programming on this stuff uh i mean you have like that um there was i guess uh at one point there was a science teacher who brought you know brought the children out to the venus project um and you oh, see a video of that uh in welcome to the future which is actually my favorite uh movie about the resource-based economy it's an old older film that the venus project did that was really really good um and you know, it, I just imagine how cool it would have been to go to something like the Venus Project when you were a kid. And I, I well, look forward to doing stuff like that in the future. Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, actually, I've had a couple. Of, I haven't quite paid off on this yet, but um, I've had a few of my students go, oh, we're going away on holiday. Oh, where are you going? Oh, we're going to Disney World. And I'm kind of like, oh, okay, that's really cool. But whilst you're down there, just drive a couple of hours and uh, check out this place. And I haven't had one of them take me up on it yet, but I'm looking forward to the one that I, that finally bites, that takes the uh, takes the bait, so to speak. But my my sister might be going there as well. So whenever I hear anybody's going in the vicinity of Florida, I'm like, go there. Because I mean, I, if I had the money, I'd I'd love to get on a plane and go there and um, take a look at Jacques' designs and uh, and stuff. I just love the fact that. 
what did he, did Roxanne, I think, once said that um, whenever there's a hurricane or something that goes through there, everywhere else is devastated and they're just sitting there with their houses going, uh, yeah, we built these to last. <laughs> which right. is, uh, yeah, which is funny. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's uh, the, the one thing, there's a few things we are fortunate for um, over here. You know, our science museum and our natural history museum in London are free. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think they're good opportunities to take kids somewhere. And my daughter's just started a science class in school. So, you know, schools aren't necessarily all bad and the educational system does, does change over time, but it's just very, very slow in a system, uh, you know, this, this structured to not embrace change and to be, um, stagnant rather than emergent. So, you know, that's a, that's a big problem. Uh, with changing the educational system is that the structure around it isn't is you know not not adept to change so it's kind of like what I was thinking is I think we've kind of as a movement got to come from two directions and at the moment we're working rather top down so we're talking to people already in the structure and we're and we're, we're building it from that sense and what I'm trying to do is come up through through the through the base if that will if if, if you will so that we've actually got people uh, thinking like this as they come out from school and into the wider system, uh, which which has more logic to it as well as an as a tactical approach even because kids are more in tune with the ideas of sustainability in the environment. It's been in their life since an early age. You know, the idea through the mainstream media and through uh, and through the school system has been propagated that that you know there's global warming and and all these other issues and sustainable green issues are, are are pushed in the schools now so to go in there and just take that one step further at maybe a little bit further down the line but take it one step further and say well do you see how these are all sort of connected and there's a symbiotic nature to things and oh you know and things like that is not that far of a of a jump for them to make you know so I think it makes a lot of sense for us to to go in that direction as well because they're just generally generally more in tune as well as one more thing I'd like to mention as well the chances of people over a certain age you know um building the resource based economy model is it, it get you know it gets as a percentage term less and less likely so it the, the chances are is the young are the ones who are going to have to build themselves out of the as I said earlier the crap that we've left them in so uh so they need to be educated for it on a practical level and prepared for it on a on a mental and emotional and uh, you know intellectual level for the challenges that are facing the next generation. Right. You know, and I, I wish that uh, we get more emphasis on you know I, you know it's something that I said earlier uh, in a different show about homeschooling. Um, we we do a lot about. Uh, and basically, we we don't really think about the fact that well, for example, how it started, and I won't go into the whole spiel because my listeners have already heard this. But if you haven't heard this, you can find the show about homeschooling and the guy. It's a it's a duo topic show. The first topic was the guy who lost his home for seventy five dollars, um, and the second one was about homeschooling. And it started with a friend of mine. He's like, I posted a basically a picture of my daughter getting out of the bus for the first time. And a friend of mine named Chibi, who's been on the show frequently, was like, you know, why aren't you homeschooling? And then another one of my friends who's not part of the movement, you know, piped in with, well, you know, if you homeschool them, they don't correctly socially develop. 
And that's when I started commenting on the various social developments that I noticed around me when I was in school, which included humongous consumerism, uh, bullying, uh, you know, just endless stupid immature behavior. Your your value as a person was based on whether or not you were wearing the right shoes, you know, uh, and jeans, and you know, just uh, it was not a circumstance. I mean, if that was social adjustment. <laughs> that, that's not a circumstance I'd want my child to be adjusted to. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, actually. That, bring, that brings up a very um, interesting point. There's a school at the top of our road called Rudolf Steiner. Have you ever heard of Rudolf Steiner? No? Um, I've heard the name. It, yeah. Enlighten me. It is, a, <clears throat> it is a more open form of education you know the kids don't wear aren't allowed to wear brands branded clothes when they go there they don't wear uniforms either but um they and they don't start reading and writing straight away they have more creative pursuits they plant um plants in the morning uh, that they will eat for lunch and neck in their canteen it's a much more uh, it's a much more loving sort of nice environment for kids to be in in, and 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 the idea they're not allowed to watch TV in the evening, so their brains can like absorb the information and what have you. Uh, it's a different teaching model, and uh, and basically I teach quite a few of the kids from there individually, like on a one-to-one level, the drums, and they are just so different. They're so different to normal kids. You know, they will call you out on your bullshit in a flash. You know, <laughs> if you're you know if you're like well. Just do if, just turn your hand over and try hitting the drum that way, and they're like, "Well, why?" You know, straight away they want to know why. They don't just they don't just hop up and do it. And if you go, just have a jam and come up with something, man. They'll be like, "Yep, no worries. Give me those sticks. This is how we do it." Um, whereas a lot of other kids are like, "No, no, don't put me in the middle. I don't want to. I don't want to be. You know, look look like a fool or anything." And these kids just don't care. They're so outlandish and. Free. Oh, and they'll talk to you, man. They'll talk to you like a total adult. They'll just have a hold of a full conversation with you. And uh, they're just totally different because of, like what you say, the social implications of where they, how they're socializing all day long. And if, what's the purpose of someone socializing in, in a negative environment? There's no purpose in that. Right. Now, um, let's see here. I, you know, I forgot. I kind of broke a tradition, actually, and I want to be sure I get this out of the way. Whenever I bring a new guest on, I tend to ask them, um, what was the precipice for you? When was the moment that got you out outside the box and thinking in a, along the lines of activism and making the world better instead of just being another cog in the machine? Yes, yeah, I, uh, we, we did miss that question, didn't we? Um, well, it's uh, a good, good question. I think at some point music struck a chord with me, pardon the pun, um, and I started um, started playing the drums, and I got into rock music especially, and that's had a very sort of anti-establishment um, message going on with it. Um, and I think even at that age, the world was, was starting to not add up for me in one way, shape, or another. And then along came Rage Against the Machine, and I got into them quite heavily and looked into a few of their causes and found them to be um, valid, and um, and then I formed my own band. Who this is quite a strange way of coming. A, a, well, quite a synergistic way of coming. A symmetrical way, or whatever you want to call it, of coming about. Zeitgeist is we were write we write music that's very much in tune with the first Zeitgeist film, and very much about outside the box, and the world isn't what you think it is, and 
things and we wrote that album and then I watched that film and I went, holy shit, that's the album that goes with the film. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was quite uh, it, uh, strange. And then obviously I watched Addendum following on from that, but I have to say that that blew even my conceptions out the, out the water and uh, seeing the Venus Project was was like uh whoa we can really do some of that stuff and um and then yeah and, and now I'm here basically and um and uh doing what what I feel is the right thing uh, to do like everyone else That's awesome. Now do you have children yourself? Yeah, I've got a stepdaughter who's 12 and my daughter's 8. Oh, excellent. Um now do you uh I was going to say um now, you said something about teaching. I take it you're a music teacher? Yeah, I'm a drum teacher, and uh, I teach music technology as well, so, you know, how to write your music on the computer and band stuff and record bands and things like that. Okay. Well, um, that's, you know, actually that's great. And, I you know, there was a time period I wanted to be a teacher, but, it you know, I, part of the problem I saw was it was just looked like it would be so frustrating. <laughs> Mind you, I went to school in a really bad neighborhood, but... Um, you know, it, I, that was another thing though, is, is that I, when I was making the decision about my daughter and homeschooling, before I decided on that, I went and met the kindergarten teacher and she's extremely awesome. And she had great, you know, ways of dealing with bullying and, and great ways of dealing with, uh, you know, education. And, you know, they were, they were teaching a combination of phonics and recognition reading skills. And I'm amazed at the stuff they got kindergartners reading, you know, doing now because, uh, like when I was a lot of the stuff that, you know, I did in the first and second grade is being incorporated into the kindergartners curriculum, at least locally, but I'm going to be watching it really closely. And I, I'm generally pretty heavy about that, you know, just to say that, you know, I don't want, uh, my kids indoctrinated in any things that are going to hinder their ability to think, but so far things have been great. Um, now let me see here to make sure that, uh, okay. I'm going to go over the, get back to your website. Um, Okay. Just to, just to say brief, sorry, just to say briefly, Neil, on that point, is it's really, it's really good that you you went and had that chat with your, uh, you know, with your daughter's teacher. One thing to mention, however, is is choice isn't always an option when your purchasing power doesn't give you that that option. You know, like Rudolf Steiner, the, the Rudolf Steiner school I mentioned, uh, which I'd much rather send my children to. I don't have the money to send them there. You know, so so it's lovely. Our politicians in our country talk about choice and choice in education and choice in health and choice, choice, choice. Like choice is the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity. Um, but when it comes down to how I, I know is best to educate my children, because because all all of the case studies and scientific evidence prove it to be so, I have to pay for it. <laughs> so and I can't pay for it. So what choice do I have? I don't I don't have any choice. Uh, I just thought that was a valid point to mention, you know, just because they politicians bang on about choice, or at least they do in this country. And I just, you know, you don't, you don't have as much. You only have what your purchasing power can allow. Right. Well, and it's it affects uh, education in a way that I find to be highly detrimental. Where I went to school, the the classes were extremely over overcrowded. Um, and of course, because we lived in a low income area, in addition to the classes being overcrowded, there was a lot of violence. Um, and, uh, basically, um, 
you can see the effects of it. And the funny thing is, is that the government seems to think that the solution is throwing more money at the problem. And I, and I, you know, I get that. You know, we should have better computers and stuff for the kids. But they're not recognizing that that's not why our kids are failing. Our, our kids are failing because we don't make education interesting. We regiment the hell out of it. Um, you know, as Jock pointed out on multiple occasions, you know, that there's the, a time period in a child's life that they're extremely inquisitive and want to learn about things and test things with their five senses. And they tend to get that beaten out of them, essentially, and not necessarily physically beaten. I'm just saying, you know, that that part of their life is taken from them, you know, um, and and it ends up being a job and I, not I, a very entertaining job. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. In fact, in my first presentation that I gave um, at a sixth form at a school I teach at, one of the I think it was the first question I got was from a 17 year old lad who who basically turned around and said, "Dude, why the hell would I want to go to school if no one's forcing me to?" And uh, <clears throat> I turned around to him and I said. You know, when you're born and you're a baby, you crawl around, you know, you're inquisitive, you, you want to know about things, you want to try standing up, you want to go and see what's around the corner, you want to investigate. You're curious, yeah? That's what all human beings are. That's how we've explored and everything else. Would you agree with that? And he said, yeah. I said, right, but now at 17, you're telling me that you're not interested in any of what comes actually naturally to as you, you as a human being and has been beaten out of you, and you're somehow looking at me like I'm the weirdo. You should, mate, you should be looking at, like, this school, the society you live in, and the teachers standing over there, because collectively, that has beaten the motivation for you to be inquisitive and want to learn out of you. And he kind of stood there, and he was like, whoa, I'd never really thought of that like, like that before, you know, because he saw, because if you think it through, that's, Learning is what we all have come here to do, or, or part a big part of what we've come here to do, and how we're going to be able to contribute. And you know how knowledge builds; it builds from people building on top of others and on top of others. And so, you know, why would we not want to do that? It seems just seems asinine to me. Right, that's very true. Um, and the punishment system needs to be looked at very closely as well. That was one of the things that I found to be extremely ineffective about education was that, and the funny thing is, you know, they blame it on the wrong sources, but, you know, the bullying issue just never gets addressed, not properly anyway. I mean, they'll suspend a student, but that's a two-day vacation. They certainly don't care about that. You, know, you can give them detention. That might help a little bit, but there was never really anything done to make the environment friendly to learning. You know, you spend your time dodging spit wads or, you know, getting involved in stupid drama or being threatened that you're going to get beat up after school or, or whatever. And that's, that's not an environment that's in, you know, that it's inclusive of learning. Um, we I, talked actually a lot about that on the, the different shows I had with Dr. Mate, but go ahead. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's a very good book I read in preparation for my, um, presentation at Z-Day, which is called Punished by Rewards, by a guy called Alfie Cohn, who I think Daniel Pink even based a few of his references on. I can't be sure. And I know I've heard that name before. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, Alfie, Alfie Cohn, uh, basically, yeah, uh, his book was Punished by Rewards, which means the extrinsic motivators, uh, whether it be a punishment or a reward, is detrimental to long-term intrinsic motivation to learn. So 
basically speaking, the task itself should be rewarding for the task itself. You shouldn't need prizes and praise on top of what should already be a task that should already be rewarding. And a perfect example of that would be me as a drummer. I didn't. I did, never did grades. I don't. I didn't need to boot up the backside by my parents or or anything else really to learn. Um, I I just locked myself away in a room, fell in love with the drums, and spent and spent a few years there, <laughs> and uh, and and loved learning the, the drums and seeing myself get better at it and taking pride in in my own actions having a a positive repercussion and. We don't necessarily motivate that in school. It's like learning should be the reward, but we reward the learning so that now it's not about the learning, it's about getting the goody, which is which is ludicrous because you, in a system where you go, oh, yeah, we want to we want to reward children for learning. Here you go. Have a bag of Smarties for doing so well in class. <laughs> How does that add up? It doesn't add up. <laughs> well, it's certainly better than, you know, I mean, I, I've talked about this too is our priorities seem kind of messed up. I mean, they... They cut corners if you have a good athlete in high school, you know, to keep them on the team, you know, and they do a lot to promote the sports programs. And I, I don't have a problem with that, but the science fair is kind of a dying thing, you know, and you don't get any kind of promotion, obviously, within your school or, you know, any kind of rewards for doing really well at that, you know, uh, which is unfortunate. And it, it encourages, you know, I mean, that's that's the other thing I always found strange about the communication system is that, uh, it, it it creates an environment within that the children essentially punish you for being intelligent. You know, <laughs> if you're smart or you use big words, that that's a reason to get beat up. You know, and I know it's crazy, but whenever when that that situation comes up quite a lot in conversation with my students or something, and they go, "Oh yeah, he's just a nerd" or whatever you know the the terminology is. And I'm like, so um, what would you have called, I don't know, Edison as a kid, you know, or, or or Albert Einstein? What would you have called him? And they said, well, I suppose I would have called him a nerd. And I'm like, yeah, it's people like that who built this house you live in, put the shoes on your feet, put heat in your home, a drum kit in front of your face, and built everything around you so that you have a life of comfort. And you're calling them a derogatory term? Do you want right. to rethink that? Do you want to rethink that position? <laughs> you know, and suddenly they're like, you know, oh yeah, I suppose they did actually do everything for me, didn't they? And I'm like, yes. So, so I think it's actually time for you to, you know, be a bit more thankful and a bit more courteous, don't you? And they're like, oh blimey, yeah, actually, yes, you're right. <laughs> it often is just a, a projection of of somebody's uh, insecurities. You know, the kid's smarter than you, so it makes you feel insecure. And it's difficult to point that out to people, but there are a lot of occasions when I've seen that, you know, people's insecurities, especially in large group situations, um, you know, people are insecure because somebody they, you know, they fear would be smarter than them or prettier than them or, you know, or whatever. And, and they will lash out on that person, you know, and that's a, too bad. Yeah, no, but that's a fantastic point, And that actually chimes in really well with a book I'm reading at the moment uh, called The Spirit Level, which I think everybody would probably be uh, well, uh, well adept to if they're in the movement, um, which is basically about unequal societies and how that group mentality, you know, you're talking about and how you how you're perceived in the eyes of others has such a high stress on your on you and and um 
and if that country, I suppose, is ever more capitalist orientated, you're probably going to have a, a wider gap like you do in the US and the UK because they think that ever more GDP and ever more growth, economic growth and consumption is is what's going to actually make your society healthier in every single way. But of course, that plateaus and evens out after a while. And once that evens out, the critical factor is is equality. If, if people feel, you know, feel less and in the in the hierarchical structure, which our structure is based on money. So, like you were mentioning about shoes earlier, and I think you've mentioned this example before, where you got you've got a brand of shoe, but if it comes from a different store, you know, <laughs> it's it's not the uh, the 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 expensive store then you're worth less as a human being which is is obviously completely stupid and and quite stressful for a kid growing up who's got to have the right shoes and everything else and his parents haven't got the money and you know that can be a really really stressful situation to grow up in and, and doesn't really make for a harmonious society to live in right you know and it's it's great that you're doing this work that you're doing, and we're down to four minutes. I want to make sure that we we focus and come back to this. You know, um, you guys have to check out this website, and he's looking for help. You know, he's looking for contributions. Um, can you like list off anything in particular that you need for your project? Um, I need some collaborative sharing uh, game games and people to do some research on. On those sorts of attributes, I also need people to um, do some uh, do some just general research that may back up uh, any of the tenets of uh, the educational ideas of the uh, resource-based economy model as proposed by the Venus Project. Jacques Fresco and Roxanne kindly donated the education uh, section from Jacques' book, The Best That Money Can't Buy, to go on the site so that people can go there. Um, they can take a look at the chapters, have a look at the direction that's proposed and look out for case studies and things that might help validate it. But but very importantly, it was set up primarily for activism. So once you've got the train of thought, take a look out there, see what you can contribute, get in touch, and I'll put it in my file and update the site on a reasonably regular basis to include a nice portfolio for people to be able to um, take snippets from and go and do their own thing in their own schools and let's get this message out to kids out there because uh, they're probably the ones who are going to have to build this world so we need to equip them. It's our responsibility to do well, so. Thank you for you know going about of you know doing that basically uh, and <laughs> it is definitely a very productive project and I, I hope that you do well with it and I will do my best to add to it. Now I have to ask, just because, um, and I, I hate to come to this this stage, but um, now when you when you did this with Roxanne, she gave you permission to use those materials. I guess she just asked you to source them, right? Um, <clears throat> well, yeah. Initially, I wanted to call it TVP Education to sort of mirror the work of TVP Design, so that they they they've got the technological know-how, and this is how we would prepare people, you know, can uh, environmentally for the changes. Um, and initially she said yes, but then um, she changed changed her position, which was absolutely which is absolutely fine. And actually, I thought it was a really really good move. You know, she wanted that distance, and she said, "Look, put that on that side of things, but show me what's on the site so that maybe we can um, use use potentially bits of it to incorporate it into the Venus Project site at a later date and everything." And um, I was absolutely, I thought, 
I thought that was a really good idea. Uh, I've sent I've sent the finished product to her now after Z Day, so I don't know what her position will be on it now. But there is a <clears throat> there is a very clear disclaimer at the front of the site that sort of says that that these uh, this you know that uh, basically the views and opinions expressed by the academic academics right, right. here are not necessarily those of the Venus Project because I knew that they had a problem with academia before I put the site up and. And uh, so I thought a disclaimer would be a very good way of uh, of going around going around that problem. But I, I, I'm pretty pleased with the site. I think it pretty much vindicate, vindicates the uh, the ideals that they're going for. So um, I'm sure it'll will be fine. I'm sure it will too. Thanks a lot for being on. Give out that URL one more time. Um, yeah, it's www.tzmeducation.org. Uh, thanks very much for having me on, Neil. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on, and thanks for doing the work that you're doing. All right, folks, um, that's the end of this show. I'm going to leave you with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.